0: your power in the moon lit night where planets are in motion and galaxies are bright. they are amazed in the light of the stars. It's all proclaiming who you are. You're beautiful. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The Babylon Bee is a satirical website <clears throat> that covers lots of religious news and it's usually pretty funny Um, and this past week was no exception. They published an article about the three wise men. It went as follows. Scholars now believe Jesus ignored the magi's gifts and just played with the boxes they came in. Biblical scholars from the nation's top divinity schools now believe Jesus ignored the gold, frankincense, and myrrh brought by the magi and simply played with the boxes that the gifts came in. The toddler Jesus reportedly tossed aside the valuable gifts and started playing with the containers. He turned the box the gold came in into a pretend spaceship, making pew, pew, pew sounds for hours. Later on, he tried out that, tired of that, and grabbed the myrrh box, wearing it on his head all afternoon and running around the house cackling like a madman. The frankincense was the best gift of all, according to the little savior. As it came in a huge box, he used to build a giant pretend robot. Man, we spent a lot of time picking those gifts out, one magi wrote in his personal journal, and he immediately threw them into the side and just played with the boxes. Oh well, at least they were nice boxes. I don't know about you, but that certainly uh, portrays many a Christmas morning in our home, especially when the children were much younger, tearing through those boxes and opening Christmas presents. This whole thought sort of captured me, of course, from this Christmas because I had preached on Christmas Eve about that story from the Grinch who stole Christmas and took all of the Christmas presents and gifts and all all of the things under the tree and reminded us of his learning that Christmas morning after he had taken up everything. They still gathered together, the Who's down in Whoville, and they sang. He said the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? So I found myself uh, pondering this notion of gifts because this morning we have wise men bringing gifts. We've talked about their non-importance. So this week I did a little bit more reading and studying about the origins of this practice we have of gift giving and Christmas giving and you know there really isn't from what I looked up any definitive answer as to why we really do this practice that we do. Some think it's Christians taking over a, a former pagan practice during the winter, one of their winter practices. Or the New York elite concerned about a practice that existed of giving to the poor that they might actually be more empowered and so they wanted to make it something different uh, of, of that crowd. Clement Moore was one of them who wrote that very familiar story. There was clearly ones who made a connection between the gift giving and the wise men, these three magi, the gifts that they brought And I was reminded as I was reading through all this stuff that the practice of Christmas and celebrating Christmas actually, up until the 19th century, Epiphany, which is what we're sort of hybridly celebrating this morning, which I'll say a bit more in a second, was more important than Christmas Day. The celebration of Epiphany, when the wise men did arrive and brought their gifts, and with the baptism of Jesus, this celebration took precedence until about the 19th century. A practice that began all the way back in the 4th century, acknowledging this very celebration that we're celebrating today. You know, it reminded me of how easily we can and do drift from what originally the intent and meaning of some practice was. We laugh and joke about how things mean different things and we see that some don't mean a thing in our, in our, even in our worship uh, like the preacher's watch, for example. But when things drift and we lose this context and the meaning, it's greatly to our peril. And so I think that's partly what's happened with this whole notion of gifts and gift-giving and how we've, we've turned it into quite a bit different than what these three or more magi who brought these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So this morning we hear their familiar story of these wise men Tonight, we'll have our traditional Epiphany celebration, this year celebrated on the 12th night. It is today the 12th day of Christmas, so it's sort of a hybrid day for us this morning. It's the eve of Epiphany, Epiphany, of course, being January 6th tomorrow. Since it's not a Sunday this year, the lectionary allows us the opportunity to read the gospel, which we did today But the principal feast of Epiphany is one of the principal feasts of the life of the church. It's it's a very important celebration. And these wise men and their gifts have something important, I suggest, to say to us, especially as we've thought about what Christmas would mean as far as gift-giving goes, and as we find ourselves on the first Sunday of a brand new year. And I know the story is quite familiar. I'd just like to highlight a couple of aspects of it and point out some things that maybe would give us a a new awareness, maybe a fresh awareness, um, and start us off in a new year together. Of course, first, the time and the setting is different than that of the events that Luke records, which we read on Christmas Eve and Christmas. Here, Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now of course scripture does not actually record how many there were. It does mention the three gifts, so tradition is assigned um, to we three kings. Likewise we also refer to them commonly as kings, though scholars believe they probably were most likely some kind of a stargazing priests, a Zoroastrian priest. They studied the stars and it was a dimension of their religion. And I was I'm constantly finding myself, uh, you guys may tire of it, I'm sure, I thought you might tire of it, let me say it that way, because I have said for years and years and years and years um, to try to separate the wise men from Christmas, and even this morning at 8 o'clock church, um, I apparently blew someone's mind and rocked their world because they had no idea, they assumed the wise men were there um, in the manger um, on Christmas Eve, which, newsflash, they were not. They come much later, according to the scriptures. They come two years at least later. They are not in that scene on Christmas Eve. So we're in a whole different setting this morning, and where they are is different because the wise men have come to Jerusalem. They start, this story begins with them coming to Jerusalem, and they come with a simple naivete of sorts, I suggest, because they've come to Jerusalem, the the capital city, the city of David, the great king. Now it's the king, Herod is the king. He ruled over Israel and Judah from 37 to, 40 to four B.C. And he was appointed king of the Jews under the authority of Rome. He was a master builder and a ruthless leader. But these wise men coming to look for a king are coming to Jerusalem. And that's where they've come. And they, they've seen this star, and they've, they've been following it, and they come and they inquire of the people, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Flag this, if you will, for a moment, or carry it with us throughout the morning. What we're talking about and visualing here is a journey guided, directed, and led by god for these wise men and for you and me as i came they as i said they came pretty naively seemingly unaware of the consequences of coming to jerusalem and asking where is this new king herod and the people think that he is the king and a newborn king is going to be a huge threat to him not exactly i suggest like the uh, photo i saw the other day of the queen with her son and her grandson and her great-grandson and all of this succession of monarchy in england and everybody's happy and they you know the article i read talked about how they put their hand on the on his shoulder and they did all this you know formal kind of stuff where no no threat from prince george ultimately scheduled to be the king of england from his father or his grandfather or his grand great-grandmother none of them they're all prim and proper and lovely that's not the image that we have this morning. No, this heir to the throne is a threat to Herod. This king of the Jews that's been born is a huge threat to him. And the arrival of these wise men causes a great stir in Jerusalem. And so Herod calls together all the priests and the scribes and he asks them, where will he be born? And they say, Bethlehem. And so now Herod secretly summons the wise men To find out when they saw this star when was he born now you and i know how down the road what's going to happen because he knows this he's going to have all the children that age killed so that he can get rid of the threat to his kingdom to him being the king wise men of course demonstrate their wisdom at this point after they've met with herod and they're on their way Um, they're on their way to worship the king and and herod has claimed a false worship that he wants to come and worship. They want to follow the true king. They give no homage, they give no gifts to him, to Herod, the king. He had to summon them even secretly. Now you see, they're on a journey, they're traveling, and they're coming to see the newborn king and to worship him. Maybe it's uh, spilling the beans, but I want to suggest that's what we're on to. We're on a journey of following and coming into the presence to worship the king of kings well so now these wise men after listening to the king went on their way And behold the star that they'd seen when it rose went before them until it came to the place where the child was and when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy well, is that quadruple joy exceedingly with great joy It's the most common recurring response to the birth of of Jesus. Joy, joy. It's with this exceedingly great joy that they now enter the house. Notice they're not at the manger. They enter a house and they see the child, not the infant, with his mother in this house in the village. And they fall down and they worship him. They worship him. These wise men see this baby as someone much more greater than themselves. They kneel at Jesus, anticipating that day when every knee will bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. One author pauses here and says, this is the fourth gift that they gave, the gift of worship. We sang of it in our opening hymn this morning, there we worship him, and that, that it concludes with glorious now behold him arise, king and God and sacrifice, heaven sings alleluia, alleluia, the earth replies. Worship, it was of course the very first gift. They fell down on their knees and they worshiped him. Then as an aspect of that worship, they offered him their gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now the Babylon Bee, of course, thought uh, these gifts for a two-year-old were crazy and all he'd want would be the boxes and nothing to play with. But you see, these gifts are not toys. These are like signs that we studied back in the fall this year from John's Gospel. This gold is a a sign of royalty, a, a gift for a king. Frankincense, a sign of temple worship, a gift for a priest. And myrrh, of course, a sign of death and burial. A gift for a Savior who will die for our sins. You see, these aren't the kind of gifts, the boxes and packages that we associate with Christmas all that often. No, these are a sign that point to who Jesus is. They offered him these gifts as a part of their worship. there on their knees. These men had been searching and seeking with the lord long and hard they've been journeying they've probably been on a road for two years they've come some four to five hundred miles on camel or on foot and all of that effort all of that effort why did they do it from a human point of view these wise men already had everything everything that they might have wanted right they were educated they clearly had wealth They had some prestige and they had some power. They had everything that we often strive for. They had prestige because they were ushered in to see King Herod in Jerusalem. And they had great wealth because they were able to bring with them these treasures that they give to Jesus. They had everything the world could offer. But there was something more than they wanted and it was to worship the king they had a spiritual hunger that had driven them to go that distance to come to his presence they were seeking the king of kings seeking to find him to know him to get close to him and to worship him do you see where i'm going with this this morning i suggest that's the journey we're on the greatest gift we can have in life to come into the presence and worship says then being warned in a dream not to return to her they departed to their own country by another way that that verse for me has sort of been the, a touchstone over the many years it stood out and it's highlighted I believe that this morning this is true for us as well you see the wise men returned to their own country from another way As we've seen, and I've been highlighting, they're they're following, they've been led by a star, and they're they're going the whole time, being guided and directed. The Lord has been leading them into his presence, and they'll return yet in another way. What's changed? You see, they've come into his presence and they've worshipped the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They've acknowledged his rule in their lives, they've recognized he's their savior. And when you do that, your direction is completely changed. Jesus uses this exact same word about traveling on the way two more times later in Matthew's gospel. First time in chapter 7, he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And he uses it again in chapter 21 where he tells a parable that you hopefully are familiar with. It's a parable out to two sons. Their father tells them both to go out and work in the vineyard. And the first says, I will not. But then later he does. The second says, I go. But he did not go. Jesus asks, of course, which one did the will of his father. And to which they reply, the first And then he uses it to tell them, to these religious leaders that are there, that they had not responded when John the Baptist had called for them to repent and to turn and go and do what they're called. He said, but tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Yet he says, even when you saw them doing that, you did not follow in the way. So, in all three of these uses of the word, what's significant is there's been a change in the way in which they were going. For the wise man, they go back a different way. Jesus calls his followers to go the narrow way. And with the parable of the two sons, the one that says, I will not, but then changes and goes in the way is highlighted. You see, it's from their encounter with Jesus, their worship of Jesus, that the direction in life becomes changed. You know, it's hard to believe that we're already in the year 2020, and some of us have been on this spiritual journey, this pilgrimage of faith for a long time, and others perhaps are just beginning. But this morning, we've all arrived here. We're all together in this journey this morning. And the Lord has brought us here into his presence, and he's here. And we've come to worship him, to fall on our knees, and to offer ourselves, and to acknowledge ourselves who he is, the king, the savior, the one who died for us, and to offer ourselves as that gift of worship. And what we learned this morning from this, I suggest, very familiar story is that when we do that, when we gather together, when we come and when we bend our knees in worship, our lives will be changed. When we go from here today, our lives will be transformed as a result of having surrendered our lives to him. You know, the start of a new year is a, a time we often think about change, so I wonder this morning, as you have been brought here by the leading of the Lord to worship Him, is there a change in the direction the Lord is calling you to this year? Calling you to this morning. I want you to go back a different way, a different path from here. You know, I thought about those two sons, and I wonder: is there some area of your life where you've said, "I, I will not." But perhaps this morning, with God's help, you will. Epiphany, this celebration we celebrate this morning, it's about an appearance, a manifestation of God's presence. It marks the first time that Jesus revealed himself to the non-Jewish world, and their lives were changed. They went in a new direction. I pray that same epiphany for each one of us this morning in our worship that our lives will be changed let's pray father you have brought us together here in this place this morning by the guiding of your holy spirit you've brought each one of us uh, here and we come today and we offer our first gift of worship Father, I pray that as we embark on this new year that our lives will be changed just as there were, theirs were as we worship you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.